take care of my body above all else. Diet, exercise, supplements, positive thinking. Scientists believe that the first human being who will live 150 years has already been born. I believe I am that human being. Well, if anyone can live to 150, it's probably Chris from Parks and Rec. Welcome to the 97th episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. I'm your host, Eric Roark, and today's episode is a continuation from last week, where I spoke about transhumanism and the idea that one day people might become immortal. One way that might happen is that in the future, people might be able to download their complete, their complete mental life to an advanced computing system and then simply back up that system on a regular basis and preserve their life indefinitely. How and when this might occur are very uncertain at this point. People have their guesses, but at this point, they're just guesses. If people are able to achieve immortality, a lot of questions will clearly get raised. One of these is whether our new selves would still be human. And the answer here can get a bit semantic. We wouldn't be human in any biological sense at that point, and the typical treatment of the term species wouldn't apply either because that's normally a biological notion, so it couldn't apply. But aside from that hard biological treatment of a human being, what we think actually matters to our personhood could probably still exist in a post-biological transhumanist world. Our emotions, feelings, experiences involving pleasure and pain, the entire gauntlet of our mental life might still be able to be lived through the experiences that we normally associate with experience, regardless of whether our physical selves are biological and carbon-based or mechanical and robotic. Much of that will depend upon how well our brain states are able to be mimicked and reproduced digitally. If the coherence there ever becomes perfect and we can't tell the difference in how we experience ourselves in the world, then it's not clear why anyone would have any reason to prefer a carbon-based body to a mechanical one or vice versa. It's just that the mechanical one would have the advantage of allowing for immortality. When I present the possibility of immortality to students and other folks I know, I often get a response I'm a bit surprised by. Instead of thinking this would be a great thing, many people don't actually like the idea. I'm a bit surprised by this because so much of just about everyone's life is governed to at least a decent degree of avoiding death. For most part, people are trying to survive longer and avoid death as best as possible, and that's a pretty ingrained part of our normal life and experience. After all, the entire promise of modern medicine for well over a century has been to prolong life and offer as much quality, physical and mental, as possible to the years that we have. No one I've ever spoken to has rejected this as a positive goal. But when that goal is extended to immortality, lots of people seem to like it a lot less. So here are the main reasons I've heard from people about why they are much more lukewarm than I would have guessed about the prospect of living forever. One reason I often hear is a skepticism with the ability of technology to ever allow for a qualitatively similar or same human experience than what biology offers us now. That's fair. Human technology might never be able to offer this. Whether it does is an empirical question, not a philosophical one. 
And in itself, that concern won't serve as a reason to reject the idea of becoming immortal. It just points to a healthy skepticism that it may never happen. Another reason I've heard is that people would get bored if life had no ending point. That's a more interesting reply because it gets more to the issue of how people find value in life. It could be that our mortality gives us a clear timeline to get stuff done and to find value in things. It might be that someone who's immortal could eventually get bored with things, with all things, but I suspect that would take a very, very long time, and it might not ever happen at all. There are lots of experiences and combinations of those experiences to be had, and the list of them could get pretty close to infinite. And so the immortal person might find themselves with a lot to do for a very long time. They might eventually get bored, but it's not clear they would, nor is it clear they would generally be more bored than mortal beings already are. The related issue here of time and value runs deeper than the question of boredom. It might be that things can only be valued within a set parameter of time that someone who is immortal would not have. To value something might be to have a temporal relationship with the thing. I'm not sure if that's the case. It could be. And if it is the case, it might give a reason to have some reluctance about becoming immortal. Sometimes religious views play a role in how a person might think about immortality. For many people, they believe that in a sense they are already immortal. So transhumanist ideas about immortality might be interesting, but the problem of death isn't really a problem for them. If someone believes they will have immortal life in heaven or paradise or some other description, then it makes complete sense why this secular offering of immortality isn't so important or groundbreaking. Obviously, I'm not going to settle the issue here of whether heaven or something like it exists. Many people think that it does, and that belief could impact how interesting those people would think about the prospect of secular immortality. I will say, though, that if secular immortality ever becomes a feasible option, it will provide the most high-stakes testing of faith that many have experienced. Do you refuse to tap the button or flip the switch and become immortal because you're so sure there is a heaven? Now, I have no doubt there are people who would refuse secular morality, if immortality, because they're absolutely certain there is a heaven, so why opt for, why opt for secular immortality when heaven awaits? But I also greatly suspect that many who profess belief in heaven would flip the switch and accept secular immortality because the stakes are as high as they can get. And when confronted with the choice, many who are pretty sure there is a heaven might become much less sure. If people ever do become immortal, so much would change in both our lived experiences and how people think about the world. People's interpersonal relationships would drastically, would drastically change. Consider marriage. Till death do us part takes on a whole new meaning if forever really is forever. As the great American philosopher Meatloaf sang,
Forever is a lot different when it's really forever. Beyond family dynamics, people's relationships with their governments could become radically different. The old paradigm of government being needed to provide for physical safety would go away in many aspects. There also wouldn't be biological resources that would need protecting or fought over by governments. You might still have government, but its purpose and relationship with people would look radically different. Issues concerning environmental considerations would also change radically. If we get to a point where people have artificial lungs and digestive systems, then as a pragmatic matter, people might care a lot less about things like clean air and water. They might still care and have reasons for caring, such as harm to non-human animals, but the concern for many would change. To deal with serious environmental threats now, such as climate change, the present approach is to take steps to change the environment through things like lessening our carbon footprint. That makes a lot of sense now. But you could flip the paradigm and possibly deal with environmental threats by changing the person and how they relate with the environment. It doesn't really matter how much food is grown if people no longer have a need to digest food. But that's a very big if, and it may never happen. So it would be a big mistake to simply abandon current efforts to prevent environmental degradation. Many major philosophical views are grounded in the biological or material nature of people. An example of this is Marxism. For a Marxist, your starting point is materialism. People are material beings who must satisfy certain biological needs. Marx works from that premise, and all Marxists do. But what if one day they don't anymore? <laughs> People don't. Um, uh, the, the proper description isn't that anymore of a person. Well, Marxism either becomes irrelevant at that point, or there will be a lot of people trying to save the view by creating a type of transhumanist Marxism that applies to people who are no longer mortal and no longer in need of a struggle over scarce resources. But on the flip side, free market-oriented economists who build scarcity of resources into almost all their models would also probably have to radically change their ideas as well. To end this topic, a book recommendation. If you're really interested in transhumanism and immortality, I highly recommend a book by Mark O'Connell entitled To Be a Machine, Adventures Among Cyborgs, Utopians, Hackers, and Futurists Solving the Modest Problem of Death. Now, I don't know, Mark, and this is not an advertisement, but I've read the book, and it's, it's an extremely accessible and fun book about many interesting and eccentric people as you might imagine, involved in the transhumanist movement. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you'll join me again for another episode of The Egg Timer in a week. Until then, wishing you good philosophical vibes. Death and taxes? Yes. Death and taxes? Yes. But non-parent.